You're listening to the 405 Exchange Podcast. My name is Ken Grampier, and today's episode is with my friend Ellis Ludwig-Leon of San Fermin. It's been a wild ride for this band, and I'd truly be hard-pressed to think of another band that's been in such a constant state of evolution, especially on a creative level. The next project is no exception towards that never-ending desire to evolve, which leads us to the Come Around 1, out on October 4th. To get a better grasp of what this two-part project is about, I met up with Ellis in between rehearsals for Sam Furman's upcoming autumn tour, and together we discussed the inspirations and experience that went into making the Come Around into reality. This is the 405 Exchange with Sam Furman. So, a few months ago, you played at Rough Trade in celebration of a live album that you and the band released. Uh, and before your set, you also showed a documentary about the band. Mm-hmm. Um, how is that for you? Because I could, with knowing you guys for so long, I could almost imagine you guys backstage kind of cringing at the sound of your own voices. Oh my god, it was, yeah, it was very embarrassing. <laughs> so embarrassing. I mean, the, I was in the green room, um, and for a minute I was in there alone, and I suddenly like heard the sound of my voice. And I was just like, no! <laughs> but luckily, uh, Bose gave us all these all these noise-canceling headphones. <laughs> so I put on some noise-canceling headphones and listened to music as loud as possible. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that is honestly, like... I could... With knowing you guys for so long, I could picture that mm-hmm. so perfectly. Like, that is exactly oh, yeah. what I could envision happening. Yeah, definitely. Um, what struck me with that show, and I've been really um, keen to talk to you about this, because, um, you know, you did the set after the documentary. What really struck me with the show is, I think I can honestly say that that was the most relaxed you guys have been on stage. Mm-hmm. Um, it was still a very tight set in regards to, like, how you guys were playing off each other, but there was a lot more bantering, and there was just this sense of, like, feeling very, like, I don't know, like, that uh, the aspect of the repetition of constantly doing the muscle memory was definitely coming across. Mm-hmm. Um, there was, like, this looseness on stage. Yeah. Were you feeling that while you were there? Yeah, definitely. I mean, we had talked a little bit beforehand, too, because this was, like... Because it was, you know, it was a... It was a special show for a lot of reasons. It was Charlene's last show with the band. It was also, like, you know, surrounding this live album. It was just a one-off thing. It was an underplay. You know, we were playing a much smaller room than we normally would play. And so we just felt like these people, people who are here tonight literally bought, sold this place out in, like, 30 minutes. These are, like, our biggest fans. So, like, we should just be, we should try to be loose and make this feel like an intimate, special thing for them. And I think that's, for us, it was also just kind of nice, because I think it was, like, you know, a chance to kind of put a cap on a chapter of our band. Yeah. One of the things I'm uh, constantly feeling uh, gratitude towards is the fact that not only have I been around you guys a lot, but I've been around you guys in, like, a multitude of different sizes of rooms and yeah. seeing how you guys have navigated the really big rooms to really like mid-sized rooms mm-hmm. and seeing like how there's just like this consistent, I don't want to say pressure, but there's like this consistent um, attention towards making sure everything is perfect. It was a big moment for me seeing you guys on that stage at Rough Trade because it's like, it kind of felt like amongst you guys there was this understanding of like, oh, we're good at this. Yeah. Yeah, I think that, I think that's right. I think, you know, it was... I don't know, at a certain point, you've played so many shows, you know each other so well, and especially, you know, 
for Charlene's last show, it felt like it was just like, you know, we really know how to do this thing with each other. And, uh, and it's also nice to then play a room like that size and be, cause you know, you're getting, you actually get more from the crowd in a room that size because the smaller space just like echoes more, you know, it's just, you feel like you're in there with your, with your, uh, with the audience more. So yeah, I think that we just kind of felt like we got something back from them and, and it was just kind of a, a, a you know, it was, it, it was a little sentimental, but I think that was okay, you know? Yeah. We've talked about it quite a bit already, but, you know, it was Charlene's last show. Yeah. And, you know, she was such a prominent voice within the band, and obviously uh, a band's dynamic shifts whenever new members come in. Um, I've been really keen to talk to you about this the last few months, because I haven't really had a chance to catch up. But tell me about this new singer, singer of yours and how you feel she's been, like, uh, fitting in with the Yeah, band. yeah. Well, so, you know, Charlene was with us for you know, four and a half, whatever years, and we really built something great with her. But um, when, when after she left, um, or we, uh, we had been talking about it for a while, about her leaving, and so we had sort of like a good amount of time to sort of prepare for that. Um, so we, we, did, we held auditions, um, and I met a lot of really amazing singers. I mean, one of the coolest parts of that was actually just feeling like I kind of know the, like, the indie singers of New York, like the, you know, female indie singers of New York better now because I've so, met so many of them. Yeah. Um, but uh, we, we uh, ended up um, working with Carly Bruce, who's like really amazing, amazing singer. She's got, she's just a great musician. Um, she's, uh, and basically instead of trying to like replace Charlene or anything, we're just sort of rethinking that whole position, which has been really cool. So she and Claire, who's our violinist and also a singer, are kind of sharing uh, sharing duties on, on vocals, um, and uh, they blend together like really, really well. So that's been yeah. super exciting. We have we did like a little acoustic session last month of some new songs and a cover. And uh, when we started doing those sessions, I was like, oh wow, this is gonna be great. Because you could just tell right away, they have like really vocal, great vocal chemistry. That's amazing. Yeah, I, I remember a couple, like two weeks back, I think I was catching up with Gabby, and she mentioned that would be the case of Claire um, singing more, and mm -hmm. that's really sick. Like, yeah. how does it feel for you as someone who, you know, is essentially like, you know, the leader, mm -hmm. and, you know, pretty much at the, pretty much at the top of like all these moving parts, and mm -hmm. pretty much like, you know, driving this thing forward? How does it feel seeing things shift in a way that actually works? Because there yeah. has been like quite a lot of evolution. Yeah. I mean, I think that with any band uh, or thing that's been around for a while, there's always going to be a certain amount of, you know, um, just like, yeah, evolution and change over the course of it. Um, and it's exciting when, when you're in a situation where you feel like new life is breathed into the, into the project. And that's definitely how it feels right now, yeah. where I just feel like excited to, you know, be writing for these voices. And like Claire, you know... She came in, she came in as a violinist, you know, and she auditioned as basically violin forward. And as soon as we started playing with her, it was clear that she was like just a really, really great vocal talent. And uh, we started to try to accommodate that in our live show in the last few years where we would have her sing lead on Oh Darling. And she took a lot of sort of, sort of lead, you know, lead-ish lines in certain moments of, of songs. But now we're really able to like sort of fully address that so even some of the older songs like 
she's gonna be singing lead on some of the old the older songs and and uh, yeah. and that feels really right because it's like you know it's she's played those songs hundreds of times now and she she's got them in her body yeah an interesting thing with Claire as well is that you know it's kind of funny how the way people describe the different roles people or bands have in terms of like uh, being the heart of the band or the glue of the band mm-hmm. or the leader but it is something that you know what's uh what's the right word I'm looking for it escapes me cliches are there for a reason mm-hmm. uh but with Claire for example she really has become kind of the heart of the band in a way like when we're all hanging out and seeing how she this um like genuine enthusiasm and everything comes about yeah. I feel like it reminds us to be enthusiastic <laughs> as well yeah yeah I mean we're kind of in general kind of a there's a slightly cynical uh <laughs> bent to our group you know and certainly you know we've we all have a kind of a dark sense of humor and uh Claire, I think, when she joined the band a couple years ago, really brought this, like, kind of new energy of, she was, like, genuinely excited and, you know, about things and happy to be there. She's not naive at all. I mean, she's totally, you know, Claire's also, she's also seen the darkness like everyone, but she, you know, she, like, she uh, just brought this energy that I think I'm constantly feeling, you know, rejuvenated being around that. Yeah. Uh, let's get into the music now. Um, the first song we've heard from this new project of yours is The Hunger, uh, featuring Samia. Am I saying her name right? Samia. Yeah. Samia. Mm-hmm. Um, tell me about how this one came together and why you wanted this to be the first song that we heard of what's yeah. leading to like a larger project. Um, well, yeah, so this song was... <laughs> generally what happens when I write these records is I go away somewhere, sort of like seclude myself, write some some sort of complicated... like you know, concept album, and then I come home, listen to it for a minute in, like, the cold light of living in New York again, and then think, okay, I need to add a couple songs here that, yeah. you know, often the, those songs are a little bit more single-type songs. So when I came back, I went to Iceland and wrote uh, what's, you know, basically turned out to be, like, 16 songs that will be split into two albums, Cormorant 1 and 2. And um, when I came back, I just felt like I needed a little bit more for the female voice, something that was kind of um, a song that was introducing us to that kind of character. And uh, I had had this conversation with uh, a friend of mine who she was talking about, you know, the frustrations of dating. And that's something that comes up with her. You know, she talks about it a lot. And, and I, I, you know, I was like really wanted to get to the bottom of like, what, what is, what is it that's really so frustrating? Cause I've actually, I've, been in a relationship for for years and uh you know it was really interesting to to talk to her about it because it was just like it made you realize what a vulnerable sort of and like kind of um emotionally conflicting experience that is where on the one hand you're like talking yourself up and saying like you deserve you know love on the other hand you're just this is the face of constant disappointment and sort of defeat (laughs) and I think and I think I always try to when I write songs I always try to focus on moments in moments that have sort of two different emotional worlds where they kind of collide you know and that song to me is about both the sort of hope and optimism of trying to find something and also the sort of constant pessimism of being a a realist in in 2019 yeah like what you're describing there essentially is like a polarity which is that is interesting, man. Dating really is that. Yeah. How, how many years have you been in a relationship? Uh, you know, six, I think. Jesus, you're yeah. so lucky. Yeah. For me, it's only been two, but uh-huh. um, 
was actually thinking a couple of days ago, this is actually kind of, we're just having to keep talking about this all, but I think this is a small portion of something I felt that you felt probably much longer. But um, for me being in a relationship for two odd years, um, I, there's an app that's, a dating app that's about called Hinge, and it's passed me by mm -hmm. because by the time it's come out, sure. I've already been in a relationship. And talking to you, that's probably been the case for many other iterations. Yeah, yeah, I know. I mean, I was I was talking to my friend last night, uh, who's on a dating app, and she was she was sort of like talking about the the different apps and what they were, you know. And I was thinking, you know, this is really like, <laughs> I I have not experienced that, and it's kind of uh, strange actually. <laughs> yeah, it's like modern day. It's not, yeah, it's not what you really can say the case, but you know, sticking about on the song, I think. Was this the song that you guys were working on maybe about like a year ago? Uh, I think I wrote this song maybe a little bit less than a year ago. Okay. So it was the last song that I wrote for this album, actually. Oh, wow. Yeah. Is it always surprising to you when you come across a situation like that and it ends up fitting to a larger piece? Yeah, well, I tried to, you know, I think if you do your homework of like writing this larger piece and make it, you sort of know what the themes of the record are and you know how the songs relate to each other, it's not too hard to then sort of add something at the end to kind of fill a, a gap in the in the whole thing. Um, you know, and I've done that on, on a number of records. I remember on Jackrabbit, I had written the whole record except for Jackrabbit and Emily, which were the two singles from that record. Oh, yeah. And I, had, I, passed, I handed it into the label and I got a call from Josh Deutsch, who was running downtown, and he said, you know, give me two more songs, uh, make them singles. <laughs> and, you know, and it was actually interesting because I felt like with Jackrabbit, I sort of tried to distill the song Jackrabbit. I tried to distill the larger themes of the record into one, you know, three minute, like, you know, thing. And that was actually uh, an interesting experience to try to do. Yeah, especially considering it's a song that you guys still perform today. And like, I always think about this when bands and artists have been around for a while. And they release, get to the point of releasing, you know, three plus albums. But there's a song that stays within the set. You know, naturally fans want it. But there's also that aspect that in some shape or form, it still is a signifier of that band from a certain point in time. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think it's like, you know, you're, as a touring band, you're, you're sort of your own historian, right? You're your own archivist. Like, you're, you're choosing the, the landmarks that you carry with you. Yeah, um, and you know some of that is based on well this is a popular song and I know everyone will sing along too so we should give the audience what they want but also some of that is like you know what what are the things that you know you're really proud of as a band and the things that sort of uh, mark you know moments in your artistic evolution or whatever and so I, I was just making the set list for this tour and I was asking myself that question because you could just go down Spotify and put your most popular old songs on there, but yeah. sometimes it's like it's a little bit more complicated than that. You wanna you wanna bring back songs that you think were great, but maybe people missed. I mean, oh darling, we did that for years. Like I love that song. It's one of the only songs that I can still listen to that I wrote. You know, <laughs> but but you know that's not one of our popular songs. It's just yeah. but we've sort of insisted on playing it for years. Yeah. Uh, before we get off the hunger, tell me more about this artist that you guys collaborated with because. I mean, obviously, Sam from in the aspect of the project is a very collaborative project, mm -hmm. but I think this will be the first time you guys have had a featured singer. Right? Yeah, I think that's right. Um, we, uh, having Samia involved was great. I mean, Samia, she also works with our manager, Tom Winkler, and so we knew about her from an early, uh, 
you know, right when they started working together. And I really like her voice. And I also felt like, I felt like because this album was sort of forging a new identity for the female voice after having Charlene in the band as, for, for years, it felt like an opportunity to kind of just experiment and explore a little bit. And so, you know, on this record, there are, there's Claire and Carly who are, you know, both in the touring band. And then there's, uh, but there's also Sammy on this song. And there's also a few other people, Sarah Pednati of Lip Talk is singing on a couple songs. Oh, nice. Um, and, uh, and then Eliza Bag of Lethal and a few other, we had probably seven female singers that sort of hopped on in various capacities. Oh, sure. Um, and this was, I felt like it just felt like a, the kind of song that would be perfect for, for Sammy. I mean, I've, I've listened to her music and really like it, you know, for a while. And uh, when I wrote it, I was thinking about the kind of voice that would make sense for it. And it's kind of an exciting thing as a songwriter to be like, of all the voices in the world, like, you know, what would, you know, what would work here? And so I figured it was like, of all the chances, this was like a good time to try, try something like that. Um, and uh, yeah, and she came in and, and nailed it. I mean, it's sort of amazing. Like we had one, one rehearsal with it, and then you know one three-hour recording session, and it was like, you know, I felt like she just understood the pathos of the song. Yeah, I think we should add some comments for people listening. It's like if you have a session that lasts only three hours, that's a miracle in itself. Yeah, so. exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was like boom, boom, boom. That is absurd. That's just that's incredible, dude. Um, Next up is The Living. Um, mm -hmm. You know, it's always great getting to hear Alan's voice on a mm -hmm. song. Uh, this one actually feels to me like a very natural evolution from uh, Belong. Did making The Living feel like a new experience for you guys in that sense? Um, you know, no, I think you're right that this song, almost more than any others on, out of the 16 that we're going to put out, felt in dialogue with Belong. Like, you know, it has some of the same sounds, it has some of the same synth type things, it has a kind of a sort of a pulsing heartbeat bass drum that I felt like was something that I was using a lot on the, on Belong. Um, but for this one, I felt like, you know, we were, there's a couple other Alan fronted songs on this, on the, on the part one that I really like, but when we were talking about which song to put out, the living just felt like it was like really representative of, you know, what the band has been and what we do. And, and, uh, you know, it's got a, it's kind of a sort of sing-songy hook that we that we we kind of liked, um, but you know it's it's Alan kind of re reprising certain things that he's done over the course of the band. I mean he's talking about sort of having a blurry night out on the town, which he's we've we've talked about before. To, and uh, you know I think it was, but it's about looking for something that you're not quite sure what you're looking for, which I feel like we can all kind of relate to. Yeah, especially living here in a city like this. Yeah. Um, you know what's incredible to me is just like, God, I mean, well, there's so many things about the band that's incredible to me, but like, um, something that stuck out to me with the living, uh, you know, one of the big aspects of Sam Freeman's music is the way you guys will play around time signatures. Yeah. And I actually haven't had it, like, I'm making, well, people can't see me. I'm making a face like as though I'm remembering something because I am. As <laughs> I'm remembering taking uh, my girlfriend to seeing you guys at Brooklyn Bowl. Mm -hmm. I think that was like about two years ago. Mm -hmm. And she uh, studied music, mm -hmm. and she had heard some of your music before, but she wasn't like super familiar with it. So she's watching the show, 
And as the show's progressing, she's just constantly reacting in real time to the time signatures. Mm. Mm-hmm. And I didn't tell her that you guys had studied music. So she mm-hmm. turned to me and she was like, these guys studied music. <laughs> I was like, what do you mean? She's like, you can't do stuff like that unless you know like, yeah. t- like shit like that. Yeah. And I bring that up because I think The Living is an example of, um, as you were saying before, a dialogue with Belong. I feel like that's an aspect that man's probably always going to be about. Like, yeah. being able to fuck around time signatures and things like that. Yeah, stuff. yeah, I think, I mean, I don't know, I, my, my feeling on that has changed a little. I think when I was younger, I was, like, trying to throw everything, you know, every musical trick at every yeah. song, you know, I was always, like, these, I was putting these time signature changes, and basically, it, you know, flexing, trying to flex that muscle a little bit, and as time's gone on, I think I, that feels like it's part of my natural like voice, so I still do things like that. Yeah. Um, and you know, like for example, in the hunger, there's a. The way that that song is built is it's about like frustration and release. So in the verses, it's in the key of D, and it like you never quite get to hear that chord, the D major chord. It's like it's like stuck, 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 and then as right when it seems like it's gonna get there in the chorus, the key changes and it like modulates, and then you're in, in the key of C instead, and so like. I do think there are moments where you can use, you know, your knowledge of music theory to actually just try to drive home a point or to make the song work better. Um, but I do think that the, the days of me, like, just kind of doing crazy shit just to do it, or, or I'm, tr- I'm trying to be a little bit more, you know, a little more uh, tasteful in that regard. <laughs> I definitely understand that. Before I go to the next thing, who would you say in the band is, like, the biggest advocate for that aspect, like, fucking with time signature stuff? Well, besides me, definitely Steven Chen. I was gonna say Steven Chen. Yeah, our saxophone (laughs) player, who is, he's, you know, he's a great musician, and also is just, like, uh, he's, I think, willing to go down any sort of, like, music theory rabbit hole that you want to give him. He's, like, he'll be psyched to, you know, talk about it. Yeah. Um, The next album is called The Cormorant. Did I say that right? The Cormorant, yeah. The Cormorant, yeah. And uh, one, the first yeah. part of a two-part yeah. uh, body work that you've discussed before about how together it's will be 16 songs. Uh, it's kind of interesting. I've been kind of seeing this a lot more this year. And, like, I wouldn't say it's a trend uh, by any means, because mm-hmm. I think with the instances I've seen it, thematically it very much um, is aligned with a lot of artistic visions. But talk to me about the decision that when you guys arrived to splitting this up and yeah. how they are... Um, like, obviously, there are two parts of a whole, but how they exist as their own mm-hmm. individual bodies of work as well. Well, yeah. So, you know, I, I think there's this is sort of one of those times where a, a creative decision also happened to be, you know, probably a smart decision um, from, like, a business perspective as well. So it was like, you know, for me, I had written these, these 16 songs. That's a lot of music. That's like an hour of music. Um, and you know, for people who've listened to the band for a while, our first record is almost an hour long. So we're no, no strangers to these sort of like overstuffed big records, but, um, you know, an hour of music, especially now, I feel like, you know, when, even when bands I really like put out albums, it's like, I do not, it takes me a while to get through an hour of music. Um, because, because you don't have the physical thing, you're not driving around in your car with it in the same way. And, um, and so, you know, and I was as I was working at working on the record, I sort of realized that there was these symmetries across the, the the two halves of the record. So, it felt like the first the first eight songs felt like they were just their own statement. It kind of ends with a you know a conclusion, 
and then like it starts again and there's some songs that are referencing songs that happened in the beginning but they're sort of like bizarro world versions um and it just made sense that, that it should be listened to sort of in two acts you know and then you know, and then I talked to our manager Tom about it, who I know has been on your, on yeah. your podcast before. Yes. And uh, and he was like, "Great, um, you know, we just signed with with Sony. Like, they would also they think that you should explore that and split it because you know then you're putting out music for twice as long. You know, and so there is a that is a very practical consideration from a band's perspective. It's like you put out these sixteen songs, you've worked on all of them equally, and it's almost guaranteed." That even anyone except for your hardest core fans will only really hear five, you know, four or five of these songs, if you're lucky. Yeah. Right? Because it's just, that's just how it works. And so the way that I, we thought about this was if you split it into two chunks, man, more manageable chunks, people have longer to kind of engage with this. But also, it serves this larger narrative. Yeah. What I really love about that, and it kind of goes back to... Um, the bit of the top where I talked about like you know having that aspect of cynicism I think a lot of people utilize that as just kind of like a blanket thing with you know people here in New York but I think it's that aspect of having um, a dreamer's mentality infused with a sense of realism mm-hmm. and what I love about this decision that you guys arrived at obviously it did come from a art- form of artistic integrity but there was also the element of you considering your own um, habits of a list as a music listener because mm-hmm. you said it there yourself it's like when you ingest music, you're, it's rare for you to even take an hour long to yeah. work body work. Yeah. Yeah, you know, and it's, I mean, it's kind of sad on some level. Like, I, you know, I, I would be lying if I said that, I'm, that the streaming thing is totally, like, you know, I, I feel like it's, it's, the buy-in on music now is a little bit tough. Like, people aren't buying records. They're often hearing songs just on their playlist and stuff which is in some ways nice because you get to get new listeners if you're on these playlists but yeah. on the other hand like for, particularly for a band like us that has a specific kind of sound that is that's pretty unique in that in that world and also that we have these really intense fans who come to our shows over and over again like you know we our music is meant to be listened to in these longer chunks like it's 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 a journey and I think that it's constantly a challenge to try to find ways to frame it so that people can do that yeah i know what you mean especially when you consider just i mean i forgot how old are you i just turned 30 you just turned 30 okay so i'm 29 so we're apart from that generation where we had like you know cd players that went into mp3s and i think something that gets uh lost within the conversation of that um arc of evolution is how even though things became more digitized, there's still an element of ownership that happened with MP3s in regards to like having like a library that you're yeah, totally, yeah. And it's kind of a weird place we're in now where even though there's a lot of stuff that's carried over onto streaming, where it's like, because I think someone might be listening and thinking like, oh, but I could go on Spotify and like listen to um, uh, an album in full, but it's a different context between an uh, iTunes library that you create mm-hmm. with your own MP3s to a streaming service where you're constantly bombarded with, but there's something over here. Yeah. There's something over here you could check out. Hey, you made this list that you haven't delved into. And it's like that those attributes of uh, being bombarded, even though it's very, um, it's very much in the background of your mind, it is a very active thing as well. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think that the, just the feeling of like ownership over your music has changed, you know, for, for a, a listener. It's like yeah. you don't, you literally don't own this anymore. You're just streaming it. And because of that, you feel a little bit less, the less it's like less incumbent on you to 
really figure out what this artist is trying to say. You know, it's easier to move on to something else. And uh, so that's a challenge for a band like us that, that is really asking a lot of the listener. Yeah. Really, 30? <sighs> I know. You're a day over 24. Appreciate it. Thank You're you. Welcome, sir. <laughs> I'm going to ask like, a couple more questions. Yeah, of course. Before we uh, get off of the album, uh, well, I mean, the two albums, well, the two EPs, yeah. whatever we call them. Yeah, nowadays, we're calling two albums. Sure. The two albums. Uh, what would you say is the concept thematically? I mean, I always hate the idea that. Yeah. Uh, body work could be isolated to a theme, but what do you say some of the themes that kind of tie them together? Like, mm-hmm. what's the through line? I was thinking with these, with this body of work, I was thinking, you know, about uh, memory. I was thinking a lot about, like, being a kid, and I was um, kind of revisiting, like, childhood, particularly, particularly my childhood, I guess, um, and just thinking about how memories kind of change the more you go back to them. I mean, literally, I mean, even just physically in your, in, in your brain cells, like every time that you revisit a memory, it, it changes a little bit. And like, and I, and I was thinking about how the story that you tell yourself about your life, who you are and who you've become over time, um, is, is you're a pretty unreliable narrator for that story, you know? Um, and I was, you know, I was out, I was in, in this really, small town in the West Fjords in Iceland and um which I mentioned just because it was like so small and kind of secluded that there just was not much you know exterior information it was all it was like a very interior like experience to be writing this music um and because of that I think that yeah I was basically thinking a lot about you know my own life and the slightly sort of like funhouse mirror of what story you tell yourself about how you've grown up like you can kind of you can kind of twist the facts however whichever way you want and so a lot of this record is about it follows these you know two stories of people growing up and uh there's this sort of it's sort of intertwined with this kind of slightly like fantastical mythology that like kind of where where there's this bird that visits and like asks these questions and um so yeah it's like a big sort of weird story story tale, you know, thing. I don't know. Yeah. But, like, everything else that's come from it's doing still tied to, like, human emotions and human experiences, essentially. Yeah, and this one I think I was really trying for... There's a few... I mean, there's a song called Hunger, you know? There's a song called The Living. There's a song called, um, you know... Uh, there's, like... They're, they're all very... Like, I think I was aiming for universal sort of moments in a very specific story. Yeah. Um... You know, and so I think that, like, I, you know, I, right now is a time when a lot of artists are um, talking about what's going on in the world, and there's a lot of social awareness, and there's a lot of, you know, turmoil, and I feel that as much as the next person, but I also feel like my impulse to write comes from pretty interior, and so I wanted to show that sort of sense of, tumult and questioning but in like a in a story that's very personal yeah and i think what's really good about that is that the, the act of people even listening to the music and engaging with it shows the function of doing that like mm-hmm. going inward and taking something out of you you need someone to be able to relay that they can you know relate to that like yeah that's the pretty much the essence of what the music's going to do yeah right yeah uh 
going back to the documentary real quick, uh, we talked about it at the studio like about a year ago, which is wild, like while you guys were working on it. But um, what was it like for you guys to be filmed by a film crew like that? Like <laughs> yeah, it was weird. I mean, it was, <laughs> it was definitely weird. It was it was fun. Um, they came to two. I think really two shows. They came to our show at the Fillmore in San Francisco, and they came to, uh, or I guess three shows because they came to both of our Brooklyn Bowl shows here in New York. Um, and that experience was interesting because you realize, uh, like, if there's constantly eyes on you when you're in the in the tour tour bus tour van, and like when you're rehearsing whatever, like. You know, it's like that's that feeling of like hearing your voice on the on on uh, the answering machine and be like, do I really sound like that? But it's that for you know times <laughs> ten, uh, and so I think that was it was a little weird. And I think that the band members all felt a little bit exposed probably during that ex- experience. But you know, it was cool, and I felt like it was an important document of that moment in the band because now things have changed since then, and yeah. and it was like okay, we've really you know this is a, a it's a a family that we've kind of worked hard to build and. It was nice. Yeah. I mean, it was interesting where um, I remember that bit where you guys are like having dinner. And I feel like I recognize the place you guys are having dinner at. Like, it's right there. Like, it's Cataldo's. Oh. Around, it's around the corner. There you go. Yeah. I yeah. do recognize that spot. And that's a very particularly intimate spot. So, yeah. So like when I saw that being filmed, I was kind of like, oh my God, like one of these camera guys have to be like right on top of somebody. Oh yeah. Yeah. And I had to, uh, Sal, Sal Cataldo who owns that spot. He's, yeah. he, we have like a, I would say, uh, Slightly antagonistic relationship. He, <laughs> he, like, he, like, makes fun of me whenever I come in there. Uh, and uh, I had to ask him, I was like, is it okay if there's a camera crew that comes in? And he was like, we'll see. I was like, all right. <laughs> I guess, uh, you know, I guess we'll show up with the camera crew and see what happens. That's very much a New York thing. Yeah. Um, I have a couple more questions for you. But um, the reason I keep bringing up the documentary is because, um, well, when... Uh, we had talks about it before it came out and then eventually seeing it um, I have a good essence and a sense of what the story is about I mean obviously like you know the band and the heart behind it and the family mm-hmm. but um, would you say that Dr. Mary um, conveyed like the message and the story you were hoping was to convey and like I'm particularly talking about like how the band more than anything else is just a group of people like mm-hmm. I was, I was kind of interested in talking about this with you yeah um you know, I think I, I tried to take a slightly, like, laissez-faire attitude towards what it ended up saying. Like, I, I didn't want to try to, you know, I, I didn't want to be, I wasn't directing it or anything, you know. I just was sort of, I just wanted to make sure that no one, like, you know, was, like, upset with how they were portrayed. And I think, you know, it was pretty fair. I mean, I, if, I, I wish that it had spent more time with everyone. I think that that's always one of the frustrations of a band like ours is that there's eight people yeah. and I'm writing the music. And so that's the natural place to start in terms of when you, when you do an interview or a documentary or anything like that. And then after me, it's like, okay, let's talk to the singers, you know, and particularly Alan who I've grown up with and is such a big, and it's like, that's a little frustrating sometimes because all of these people in this band have been such a major part of building it, you know, um, and certainly, like, have done as much, if not more, for the culture of the band and all of the stuff, you know, John and Mike and Steven, these guys who've just, who've, who've really, like, are the, you know, engines for this thing. So, I think that was a little frustrating to not be able to see more yeah. of them, but, you know, you also understand it's like, you have 20 minutes to 
learn about this band and you know, it's like, you know it's like you know it's it's hard to to from a storytelling perspective no matter how you do it yeah no, that's very true and i think it did a good because so it's been interesting talking to like you alan mike uh john and like tom about just like how the band's perceived and i guess a documentary like that even though it doesn't get to spend time with everyone which that would be the best mm-hmm. thing i think it does a really good job of just showing that like you guys are, you know, first and foremost, more than anything else, just a band. Yeah. Like, yeah, and I think, well, I think there's something, like, a little, I don't know, on one level, it's true, so I can't be that mad about it, but on the other level, it's frustrating where I think there's this, sometimes there's this narrative around the band of it being, you know, it's like, it, like, focuses on, on, um, like, the sort of snootier aspects of what the band is, this sort of, like, this sort of, like, this one composer's like thing or whatever, and that's not always it's not wrong, you know. Like I am doing that, but but it also is just like it can be a little frustrating. Where I think that I do think a lot of the songs that we write and the stuff that we do is it feels very, you know, um, it's not it's it's pretty you know it's going for something pretty universal and yeah. pretty accessible, and and I think that showing that the band are showing the personalities of these people in the band, it's not you know it. I think that's nice. I think it's important to be, make us make us a little bit more accessible. Yeah, and with that, I would desperately just stress to anyone who hasn't seen you guys live to see you live because I feel like it's one of those things like seeing you live. I feel like the records as they as they've gone along, especially with Belong and to where we are going now, they've definitely showcased the dynamic aspects of the band, especially being you know there's elements of being a rock band in mm-hmm. there, and that's the thing that blows me away from day one to now seeing you guys live where it's like oh yeah yes there's like violins and there's trumpets here mm-hmm. and uh sax and you know the drummer's playing in a very like structured way but the way he hits the drums the way like steven and john stomp their feet mm-hmm. like sanford and first and foremost is a rock band yeah yeah certainly certain and certainly the live show that's true you know i think and that's like we always have lived this double life of like you know there'll be like weird interludes with female voices whispering and like weird saxophone stuff and then you know and then you get to the show and it's like well you know we can we can play Lollapalooza or any of those places and kind of hold our own in terms of that kind of a show like give people just like the straight sort of adrenaline that you get from seeing a band and uh that's a tough line to walk because you're you're kind of in no man's land one or the other but if you can do both I think it's exciting yeah exactly my last question for you is that you know it's going to be something else seeing how the live show is changing uh i'm keen for it because uh yeah in december you guys will be playing broken steel mm-hmm. tickets are on sale so if you're in new york and you somehow didn't know about that show go buy those tickets now um you've kind of talked a little bit about you know how it's felt with the rehearsals so far but can you tell me how, like you know just on a personal level for you how does it feel knowing that the live show in itself is going to be such a different thing um i think i'm always interested in that i mean as a musician like it's <laughs> it's kind of boring to to try to recreate something that you've made already you know it's like I think that part of the fun of having a band is like that alchemy of getting these people in the, in a room and seeing what happens and and feeling the the kind of like yeah the energy that's generated from just like putting these eight great musicians in like in one space um, and I also think that it's fun for our fans because people have, as I mentioned, people come back a lot. You know, we have we have a lot of repeat 
fans who will come and see us again and again. And I think that the reason they do is not that because we're doing, not because we're doing, you know, perfect versions of our records. It's because we're like, every time they see us, that there's a, there's a exciting aspect to that live show that they're not getting from the record. And I think that's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's, I can call it, that's the end of it. Thanks for taking the time to chat on this beautiful Sunday morning. Yeah, thanks, Ken. Really appreciate it. Yeah.